Welcome to The Mockingcast, the podcast of Mockingbird Ministries, an organization that exists to connect the Christian faith with the realities of everyday life. As always, I'm Scott Jones, your host, and we come to you every Friday to discuss, among other things, the contents of our weekly wrap-up post, Another Week Ends. But this week, we have a special episode, all the content of which was recorded live from our 2016 conference in New York City. Last night, I was joined by my usual co-contributors to the podcast, David Saul and Sarah Condon, as well as Jacob Smith, rector of Calvary St. George's, who hosts our New York City conference every year. This morning, I had the pleasure of talking with distinguished theologian and author, Dr. Ted Peters, and his lovely wife, Karen. So I present first my conversation with Dr. Peters and his lovely wife. I am here live to tape recording at the Mockingbird 2016 conference in New York City. And I'm actually with Ted Peters, Dr. Ted Peters and his wife, Karen. And we are, I'm privileged to have them and to be able to talk I, with them for a moment. I just heard a great talk, Doc, that you delivered. Uh, and I, my wife and I are parents of two anxious pit bull rescue dogs. So I felt like you were concluding, not to give away the whole thing, but your concluding sentiments on dogs going to heaven warmed the cockles of my heart. <laughs> well, I think, Scott, that if your heart can love a pit bull, I believe God can love a pit bull and perhaps the rest of us who behave like pit bulls as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. The Of the Michael Vick dogs in, in that in oh, case, yeah, right, only in that. two were put down, I think, and it wasn't because of... There were the most of them could even the the ones who had it the roughest could be in certain rescues. It was two just had so much trauma that they pancaked and they just couldn't uh, they couldn't deal with external stimuli. But it's amazing, like a lot of them became service dogs. So oh, they, I didn't know that. So the do- dogs have a trans uh, transformatory uh, potential too. Yeah, That's, yeah. I mean, they're just the future is not it's, determined by the past, at least not in any absolute sense. Yeah, archaeology is important, but it doesn't determine your teleology. That's right. right. Now you had a great quote uh, from, you know, and it's not. I mean, one of the things in talks, right? It's important to pick images and metaphors that that aren't too evocative. So you went with Hitler on one of them. (laughs) I went with Hitler because when I talk about sin, uh, it is so easy because the Nazis were so transparent. You could uh, could get all kinds of examples. Of course, it's very dramatic, and a lot of people died. But in some ways, it's a model for understanding ourselves, uh, both individually as well as 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 a nation, in terms of what is the group spirit. There's nothing particularly evil about America, but uh, when we take a look at what happened in Germany during that period of time and hold it up as a mirror, then what does that reveal about our own spirit? And when we uh, get to a dilemma, how do we turn back? Yeah, and and you had this interesting quotation because you talked about sort of like, the. I, I feel like there's a kind of, naive optimism about spirituality in our culture today. And it, it, it was eerie because Hitler started saying, hey, look, we're just kind of trusting our gut here. We know that, you know, we have this divine spark within and, 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 and you know, the country's down on its luck and 
I mean, we all kind of know that the, the Germans are, are decent people, and this is the path for, you know, it's unlocking the giant within. It sounded like Anthony Robbins or something. <laughs> well, and his language was that of nature. We're going to get behind our Christian traditions. We're going to go back to nature, and God communicates to us through uh, nature. Well, just think about Blut und Boden, blood and land. There's a kind of vibrancy, spiritual vibrancy in the land that uh, that belongs to this particular people, and so Adolf Hitler just said, "Look, we're carrying out our destiny. We're we're doing what the natural God would want us to do." And uh, one of the things that's not noticed in most accounts of that period in Germany is the important role that Darwinism played, especially social Darwinism and uh, eugenics. The Racial hygiene program was thought to be a way of accelerating the evolution of the Nordic race. And so this uh, view that nature um, is what feeds the spirit of the, of the German people with this great destiny, well, could that happen to us in America? I, I think very easily. Am I worried about it right now? No. But, um, you know, it would only take a few uh, crises and twists and turns, and the American spirit could become demonic as well. So watch out. Too much spiritual without religious, we could be goose-stepping. <laughs> it is definitely possible. Now, you know, right. one, of, one of the things I thought was great about your talk, I feel like in today in contemporary, at least among theological and church discussions, people that are sort of interested in public life— You've got the Calvinists who are beating up Lutherans on one side and the Catholics who beat Lutherans up on the other, right? So <laughs> you kind of they feel like, well, I mean, this grace talk is really good, but, I mean, what do you do with it in public life? And, we got, <laughs> and I actually feel like your talk sketched out a beautiful picture of what a sort of, uh, and, and not just Lutheran, but an Augustinian, a biblical understanding of grace can produce intellectually in, in one's own temperament and then how it can actually help a nation reimagine itself and be more generous. Could you say like a little bit about how what grace looks like on the ground in, in individuals and society? Uh, well, uh, thank you, Scott, for uh, picking that up because that is what I hope will be my contribution to the larger discussion. So I start with the notion that we get in St. Paul that's picked up by Augustine and Luther that if we are justified by faith, and faith means the presence of God's grace, if we are justified uh, by God's grace, then what's the opposite? Well, the opposite would be self-justification. And then when you follow that trail, uh, all kinds of things begin to get illuminated. So there's a sense in which the gospel illuminates who you and I are as people. So uh, there's a chain of reasoning then to see how we draw lines between good and evil. We put ourselves on the good side. That uh, on the good side, that's the self-justification side, and then on the other side of the line is the scapegoat, the one that we call evil. And then you and I are justified in committing all kinds of violence against the scapegoat. Why? Well, because we're doing good when we snuff out the. Uh, the evil on the other side. And of course, what's curious, if you'll take a look at history, we keep 
changing the evil person on the other side of the line, depending on, you know, what fits the current uh, economic or political needs. So I guess we're pretty creative. It doesn't take long for us to replace yeah. an, out, an outmoded version of, of, of Satan. Oh, here's a new one right here. Oh, that's right. I mean, we just keep changing the enemies, but the political rhetoric remains the same in each case. How long have you two guys been married? Why you been? Well, I've four, yes. four years. Wow, you and you look like you're you're in love. I mean, you're actually. So is this Simon Yusuf at Picard or full disclosure? What's he like at home? I mean, yeah. What's he like at home? And you want to answer? Yeah, do we? See that? Uh, oh, yeah, there, there we, we go. Still want you answer about how long you're married? Do we, do we, sit, do we sit at home? Boldly, yeah. yes. <laughs> no, um, actually, he's very he's very much the same person. Um, I, Ted and I knew each other 30 years ago. If you, that's when we first met. Uh, we were both married to other people, other families, whatever. Hadn't seen each other for many years. Um, I actually did a television show on our NBC affiliate in San Francisco, and Ted was a guest of mine. Um, so we've had, and we had connections over the years. So we reconnected, which I think was rather appropriate at the seminary, our Lutheran seminary in Berkeley, when um, on the 40th, the anniversary of the 40th ordination of women in our, uh, in our uh, church. So it was kind of a nice, we reconnected. We both had been divorced. Uh, I, I was actually divorced and, and widowed, which was uh, sad, but in, we didn't know that even that about each other. So that was how we reconnected over issues that have to do with the church. Now, Karen like is that. not ordained, but she is a woman. There you go. I like yeah, that. I, yeah, I, I there's no doubt about it. A lovely woman as well. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't mean that pejoratively or sexist way, but it's just... I, you know, at my age, that's a lovely compliment. Thank <laughs> I'm, you. I, I'm pleased to offer it to you. So you worked in broadcast. And... I did. I worked in areas of uh, communications, marketing communications. Um, it was a public affairs program uh, that uh, reflected the views of the Protestant community, which was actually a little bit of a chuckle for me because there is no real Protestant community. Uh, being here with Episcopalians at Mockingbird is very comfortable for me as a Lutheran. Uh, my first uh, producer, um, our program was on uh, monthly, and we and the program was on at the beginning of the month. Easter was at the end. And I said, well, instead of trying to do an Easter show, why don't we do something on the meaning of Lent? And she, as an uh, Assemblies of God person uh, raised in that tradition, looked at me and she said, what is Lent? <laughs> so what what was interesting about that for me is that that how I, I really sharpened my understanding of how diverse we are mm. within quote non Catholics, which is really what they the, the what was the bucket that we were in, and enabled me to uh, really find people who were making a difference based on their faith, whatever that would be within the community. So we did a lot of community-based stuff, and I, it, which was wonderful because it really pushed us past. John Gray, for example, who, uh, who uh, wrote, you know, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, uh, has a whole chapter about the G vitamin in his first book. No one ever asked him about it, and the G vitamin is God. Hmm. So it was those kind of wonderful little morsels of uh, information that we were able to uh, share with the community. 
That's wonderful. So you're in broadcast. How am I doing, by the way? I'm an amateur broadcaster. Hey, am I, I doing okay? You're doing great. <laughs> give, give him an ace. Actually, you could you could tutor me on doing podcasts because <laughs> a technology has just moved us so forward in this information. You flatter me, and I will totally take it. Good. <laughs> so today, no, today, uh, Dr. Peters, like when you look out at as a guy who spent your whole life uh, in theology, and with the theology shaped at the church, I mean, on the ground. I mean, you know, the, your your stuff is not. Oh, it's it's it, it's academic and intellectual, but it's it's earthy, like a good Lutheran should be. What do you see is like the, the promise out there? What are like some promise points? You know, the points of light out there on the theological landscape today. And what are things that you're like, oh my gosh, if this if, if this gets miracle grow on it, this is very scary. Well, I certainly see Mockingbird as a uh, light uh, of promise because... Hang on, I'm writing uh, the check. Yeah. Actually, I, like God's grace, am free, uh, at least for today. <laughs> by, <laughs> by free, I mean cheap. Um, the, uh, the heart of the gospel message, I think, is one that uh, you at Mockingbird have got. It's God's grace, and that has transformatory power. And it's nice that somebody remembers that more, actually enjoys it. And so I think the next frontier, as you probably heard, uh, is what does that reveal to us about human nature? And uh, how is it that we can enjoy our human nature without necessarily being uh, fragile? So um, what comes next? Well, I do think uh, that uh, Christians could offer a political critique of uh, the larger society, especially the political dimensions of society, not necessarily to press one party over another, but to try to keep both parties transparent and honest uh, about, well, this grungy stuff about creating scapegoats, whether it's going to be Mexicans or Syrian refugees or those darn Republicans or those darn spend, uh, you know, tax and spend Democrats. I mean, it's all such negative scapegoating without uh, a counter positive movement forward. So I think the Christian church does have a political opportunity and prophetic responsibility uh, at this particular point. Um, where I am in Berkeley, uh, most of my theological colleagues and students are really concerned about justice, and by that we mean economic and racial uh, justice, and this needs to continue to be a flag that we wave and hold up and be concerned about. And um, many people who find themselves visited by people who out of love are concerned about their uh, their situation in society really, really benefit. So this is a good, good, healthy sign. Um, one of the things that I see weakening uh, is the sense of uh, Christian mission. We don't really have people anymore with zeal for the gospel. And uh, in the period of televangelism in the 1970s and 80s, unfortunately, our great heroes fell, you know, because of scandal, et cetera. And so the gospel's got kind of a bad name these days. You use the word evangelical, you kind of sneer a little bit. 
And uh, so uh, we've got this mud to clean off, and uh, I don't know exactly how to go about that, but I'm hoping that, uh, you know, the next generation of Christian leaders will be able to get that mud off and retrieve some of the really good things about uh, the evangel and the gospel. It's interesting that you mentioned television evangelists, because it seems like the folks shall remain nameless, because there's so many of them, you, you know, you can oh, go yeah. forever. But the ones that seem to take off generally have a sort of really uh, optimistic anthropology. It's sort of, you know, unleashing the giant within, believe it. I mean, I, I was at one church a few weeks ago in Texas visiting some family, and, uh, you know, my brother-in-law works near this guy's church. I wanted to walk in, and there was a, a book there I, I saw. It's bestseller right now called for a christian every day can be friday and i thought well friday didn't work out great for jesus oh. <laughs> every day right right I mean, what do you think what if you had like a real augustinian lutheran type television evangelist that actually told people a realistic picture of themselves do you think that could sell i mean you think on some level that would is there a way that could get broad appeal you know, that is a, a really good question. I think it would sell, but probably at kind of a low price. Um, what I think you're hitting at is the opposite, the prosperity gospel, in which um, if you and I do our part, then God is going to super reward us and reward us with what? Well, success, good health, and of course, uh, wealth. And there's a sense in which Good Friday is the most realistic mirror you and I can look into to find out what kind of people we are. God is glorious and God is gracious, but we're the kind of people who put Jesus on the cross. And until we get realistic about that, um, we can't really move forward. Um, One of the risks of uh, pressing the cross on people's consciousness is that if they're already feeling bad about themselves for some reason or another, then they're going to have nightmares because they killed Jesus. Well, that doesn't usually rescue a sin-sick soul uh, to do that um, uh, either. So, um, yes, I would say this, that any televangelist but any parish pastor or any Sunday school teacher is going to be really realistic about who we are as sinners, but then you know, quickly celebrate. There was a re- an Easter resurrection. There is a Holy Spirit. Uh, there is a good reason to be um, cheerful. Uh, you know, joyful actually is probably the best Christian word for that. I'll tell you, one of the things that's great. I mean, Nietzsche, you know, sanctified the ad hominem argument, right? Like, uh, you know, like, <laughs> hey, look at the philosopher. You can't look at them apart from their philo- uh, the philosophy, apart from the philosopher. So, I love the fact that you that you both have just have recently rescued cats and dogs. Now, there's a story of a town, a very academic town in New England, and they had these monthly forums, and one was on when does life begin. And so they had, the first speaker gave up and gave a short discourse. He was a Jesuit uh, who uh, said, look, life begins at conception. We all know it. And, you know, he offered, proffered lots of, you know, ornate arguments. Then a mainline Presbyterian follows him, and a very learned guy and ecumenical, and said, look, I, you know, my brother here is very learned, but I want to say no. Life really begins at birth. Third, the Episcopal priest, who had a flask in his pocket, you know, there's four <laughs> Episcopalians, you'll find a fifth guy up, staggered to the mic, he says, 
I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. Everybody knows life begins when the kids leave home and the dog dies. <laughs> so you two are, right, right. Have, pro, have prolonged life beginning. By the <laughs> but I think it's beautiful. And may God bless um, your time with each other and your little furry friends. Well, Scott, thank you very much. And I think you and those pit bulls, uh, if you, do you snuggle with the pit bulls oh, at absolutely. night? Big snugglers. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. See, transformation. Ah, just a promise right around the corner. Thanks for being with me. Some just clap their hands or paws or anything we got now. Well, listen to the bases, the one on the bottom where the bullfrog croaks in the hip. Okay, welcome to a special edition of the Mockingcast. Today we are not actually discussing the contents of another weekend's because there are no contents. Because this is Mockingbird New York 2016, and in addition to the animating force of the zeitgeist, David Zoll. <laughs> we also have regularly also Sarah Condon. Hey. Texas. Strong. <laughs> we have a special guest who's no stranger to the show, but is sitting in as one of our panelists, Jacob Smith. The Reverend Jacob Smith, who is hosting us and has done so far a fabulous job. Great job with the hospitality, sir. Thank you. It's great to have everybody here. So I was thinking about, I actually sent a tweet out to a guy named Mark Oppenheimer, who's been on, we've inter actually interviewed on the podcast, because he lives in, or he, wor he lives in New Haven, but he works in and out of New York, kind of commutes in. And I said, hey, could I, what's your schedule like in New York these days? Could I buy you a beer? To which he responded, sure, email me, which... Okay, vanity, name dropping. But uh, but I was thinking about like talking with someone like Mark, who's a Jewish journalist uh, and a great religion writer. But I was thinking about, and then a, a number of people came to mind who are not inside the Christian tradition. No, Mark is a pretty sophisticated observer of it. But I was thinking about people who are outside the church or nominally connected to church life and how I would describe Mockingbird and what would, how I would sort of, what kind of picture would I paint as to what I was doing here, uh, why I'm connected to it and how it affects the way I understand, you know, the life of faith in the Christian life. So I'm just going to go to the panel to help me on this, in this activity, in this endeavor, so to speak. And, the, and what an auspicious occasion to do it in our conference, the ninth conference. Wow. What is Mockingbird? What is it, Jake? The conference? What's the conference like? What's Mockingbird? What's, 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 you know, like, what's this about? What's the movement? Is it a movement? Is it a website? I don't know if, um, I, as a minister, I don't know if I would call it a movement. I want to avoid those kind of things. But I would just say that it is a gathering of people uh, who have um, had a deeply shared experience of God's mercy and grace, which has led to the conference theme this year, which is relief. And so, um, and it used to be funny, it used to be said, you know, if there was just a couple of us, it felt like there was an army, because most people thought we were crazy. But um, it's just, it's 
grown, and I think that the conference, I would describe that in a few words as a slice of heaven, and uh, just an opportunity to really come and let your hair down and uh, and take a break and hear other people's stories of uh, goofiness and mess up and how God has come and just been present in it. And so um, I think it's a great place and a little slice of the, the thing that is to come. I, and along with a little slice of key lime pie, <laughs> the meals are actually pretty good too. Okay, that's interesting. But wouldn't I, it's so interesting that that I mean, wouldn't most people say Christianity should be about things like grace and forgiveness? I mean, why is that? It's it's interesting. Why, uh, why, why the need for such a particular lens on that aspect? We had a speaker at. Um mockingbird in houston which would have been two years ago two years ago dave Mm -hmm. yeah two years ago who said that if you ask the average christian on the street uh or ask the average person on the street what they thought christianity was you know at at best you might get love right and um at, at worst you might get judgment but really the right answer is forgiveness um and i don't think we hear that enough in our churches. I don't think we hear that enough in Christianity. And so even though it seems like the obvious thing, it's not the thing that we hear that we need, right? We need to know that we are forgiven. Yeah. In fact, maybe for some people, uh, religious experience inside churches is, a, is, is like more anxiety. <laughs> it's one of the things that produces anxiety for on top sure. of like work and parenting and, yeah. you know, other sorts of... So tell me about like, okay, I know Sarah and I, before we were Really we were quick, recording, think, we were just, talking a little bit. Can I just say, like, I think the reason why, though, is because you talk to the average Christian, and they'll say, like, yeah, forgive, of course, grace, I love it, grace. But that only winds up being like a fraction of the whole thing. Mm. And then right after that fraction, they want to add a big but. And so, but now, and uh, and I think that is why um, you, you don't hear it, because everybody's affirming it. And uh, they're actually just assuming it. And uh, whenever you assume the gospel, it's ultimately denied. And so you just bring in this big but, and uh, you. So you're saying is these people, they like to inter, they like big butts, and they cannot lie. (laughs) It's really interjections. I I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. And I was avoiding it at all costs. Thank God for Scott. Yeah, praise the Lord. <laughs> yeah, I mean, posterior jokes are special. Well, I believe Sarah talked about farts in her. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she did. The theology about... of flatulence was uh, touched upon. It's evening. key in marriage. Yes. It's key in marriage. The Dutch mm-hmm. oven effect. Yeah. <laughs> so, Sarah, Sarah and I were Jake talking before you all came in about what it was like. Sarah was the the speaker tonight. Yeah, you know, uh, and. She was saying, I remember being like coming here as kind of an outsider looking in as a participant and how much different that kind of experience is. And I I probably feel kind of a similar way. Uh, uh, This is the second time I've been to the conference um, and been connected more deeply with Mockingbird over the past year or so. But tell us about the origins. David, Jacob, tell us about how Mockingbird came to be what it is. Well, honestly, it it's fun to talk about because we we don't we kind of assume it, I think. Mm. But it's fun to talk about it with Jake, especially because Jake and I were having pizza at this incredible New Haven pizza joint um, called Modern a Pizza, 
uh, right off 95, but I, I have a quite a... I found out, Scott, I think it was Ethan told me that my Enneagram number, which is a two-wing three, uh, our addiction is carbohydrates. Like, that's what we're possibly addicted to. And that, I mean, nailed me to the wall. Uh, there's no, I'm... I, <laughs> I often tell people when they ask me about you know dieting, my eating habits, I just said I'm not willing to live in a world without pizza. My it's wife not- is a two-wing three, and she was telling me a story at dinner that she had five siblings. It's how they would be just start exchanging food as kids, yeah. and bread was always what she wanted. Okay, Silas, t- my mushrooms. All right, I'm taking your bread. And so, so yeah, two-wing three was always going <laughs> for the bread. And I, Jake and I were therefore indulging our addiction. Mm. Uh, table fellowship. <laughs> and... Uh, it was a lot of like personal circumstances, you know, things coming to an end, things beginning. Jake had just gotten a job down here and thinking about sort of what we could do that would be fun and interesting and uh, tap into the message of God's sort of of God's grace and his more radical expression or the, the way we talk about the distinction between the law and the gospel and the theology of the cross and this stuff that sounds like mouthfuls or unfashionable, but it's in fact just you know, life-saving, exciting. Everyone that I'd known who'd ever grabbed a hold of this was still a Christian. <laughs> and every, most of the people who didn't, you know, and that's, there's other factors as well, but a lot of the people that didn't or outright rejected it, they ended up going in other directions. So um, we just hatched this plan. There was some office space, some uh, willingness, a little bit of money uh, floating around, a whole lot of energy and goodwill, but not much focus because we wanted to sort of see what it would become. Yeah. And then we um, moved to, I moved to New York from New Haven and um, we just started to see what would happen. And we tried a bunch of different things. Sean Norris um, was a guy who was a friend who was working with us and he was, it was his idea to start the conference. And, um, the first one was like, you know, it was like a little family reunion of people that kind of knew each other, maybe 50, 60 people. Uh, and it was fun, but I think it, it it grew out of some indignation as well as uh, friendship and uh, a lot of energy, quite a bit of hubris. And- <laughs> Throw in a little indignation. A little bit of me and a whole lot of you. Throw a little indignation and some friendship and some hubris. And we started the website as, a, as an afterthought, and um, people had a lot of fun at that first conference. Partly it's because this, this church where we hold it is just so cool. I mean, it's in the heart of New York City, and it's, it's like this gothic thing. And if you can, you know, if you can be with your friends, have a couple beers, and talk about the gospel, I mean, what's better than the slice of heaven, right? Yeah, it is. It's good. I think, uh, I think that is... Um the that is absolutely true and uh you know and there are just tons of crazy like stories of the beginning and how it started and uh also i think it like birthed out of friendship and uh you know and uh there was a couple other folks like jd coke uh, who's the rector of saint francis in the field in louisville kentucky and paul walker at christ church and rj Heyman, who was uh, here in new york city at the time and uh and i think um i think uh the whole thing too also like demonstrate especially in the, the early days Dave talks about like hubris and things like that but a lot like it also reminded us I think every day of how much we needed to be forgiven ourselves and how much we needed this message and I think that is a powerful thing of why it's still around is because it is true 
and uh, it uh, and it speaks to all of us. And so, um, but I think that's the thing. There was no like master plan or anything like that. It was just there's still no master. Plan. There's no master plan, and uh, and that drives people crazy um, in everything. But it's just kind of like what it's freedom, and so and what what do we want to do? And so here we are, and so nine years later. And um, it's a lot of other people are experiencing that freedom as well. But I think that's the, the catalyst was just freedom and the opportunity to do something new. I'd love for someday for Dave to write a story about those early small groups in his house oh, after being just married. But uh, that's another longer, just disgusting story. But anyway. <laughs> you guys suffered for the gospel. <laughs> like those small groups for sure. But it was amazing. And just throwing things on the wall and seeing what stuck and... Um, some things didn't, and uh, but there were a lot of things that did. And <laughs> Dave introduced me to Mad Men th- during those days, and doing talks on Mad Men, it was great. So yeah, that that freedom, just uh, like harness a little bit of that, yeah. Sort of see what where it would take us, and try to do. <laughs> I mean, some of it's really embarrassing to think about, yeah. and I'm sure we'll be embarrassed looking back at today yeah. one day. But um, you know, despite all of our mixed motivations and our missteps. Mockingbird has not just been the vehicle to um, proclaim this message and explore this uh, the message of God's grace for sinners, but it has been the the um, vehicle for us to experience it in the midst of our own sin and arrogance and relational uh, strife. And so, you know, grown up and. Yeah. Um, I do want to say that the one of the original names we were thinking of was going to be Lamp. And because uh, Dave and I were really into Brian Wilson at the time, and still are. Yes. But anyway, Lamp, which would have stood for the Love and Mercy Project. But I think Mockingbird Aww. was a... Yeah, that way to go. Much, I mean, there, you talked about the end. successes and the failures. That was a success, Ditching Lamp. That was it's clearly in a success. But Sarah, you were talking about your favorite theologian tonight in your talk, which she said you only call a theologian so that we can have her as a keynoter. Could you remind me of her name? Mindy Calling. Mindy Calling. And... and can you just tell our listeners who, for the few of, with their heads in the sand that That's are not right. familiar, uh, a little bit about Mindy Calling? So she's on the Mindy Project. She was originally on um, The Office. Mm. What was her character's name on Kelly. The Office? Kelly. Yes, Kelly Kapoor. Yeah, yeah. Kelly Kapoor. Yeah, and um, yeah, Mindy Calling's fantastic. I, I really recommend that everyone read both of her books. Um, she's had two out now. And I love Tina Fey's books. I mean, I, I read all women humorous, but Mindy Calling, she's top notch. She she did. I talked tonight. She does great reflections about marriage and relationships. Um, I love what she said about marriage and that we should be pals. But the beautiful thing she says in that chapter that that I didn't say is uh, that all Shakespeare's comedies end with a wedding. And she says so. She talks in this chapter about married people talking about how miserable they are in their marriages and how unhappy they are. And she says married people need to step it up because all the rest of us are just side characters watching the two of you getting married and hoping that someday we will be those people. Um, yeah, she's she's a beautiful writer. So It's funny because one day on the website I was uh, – we were – searching, grasping for material. And I reached out to Sarah. I said, Sarah, do you have anything you can write? I just have all the stuff I have to do and I'm just done. She said, oh, oh, I guess I could do this thing about Mindy calling. And um, I said, please do it, please do it. She said, but it feels lightweight, all this stuff. And then she did it and it was great. And immediately like someone wrote in, it was like, this is so lightweight. Yeah. <laughs> 
was like, I felt so terrible. I threw her into the bus. It's like, yeah. You know, it's one fine. of the things that I think I appreciate. Vindicated tonight, sir. Right. Vindication. Very much. Very much. Vindication. One of the things I appreciate most, I think, about Mockingbird, and I, Sarah, I saw this like peppered through your whole talk. And, and, you, and if you just take a cursory look at the website, you would find this too. Like, I think. There was one denomination put out a paper a few years ago that we're saved, we're justified by faith, not by our belief in justification by faith. And so sometimes, you know, Luther talks about the theology of glory versus theology of the cross, where the theology of glory is sort of human apotheosis, human self-assertion, and, and the theology of the cross is, is about our own poverty and brokenness. But sometimes people do theologies about the cross that become theologies of glory, or, or, mm. or theologies, or, or they feel like they're justified by their theology of justification by faith. And I feel like the really there's a spirit among folks that I've connected to at Mockingbird where Christ plays in a thousand places and there's no need to possess it, mm. but really to name it uh, gratefully where you see it in the world. And so today I, I had this wonderful experience where someone who from uh, Mandy Smith's church, uh, who was on the podcast this week, drove 17 or rode 17 hours on a bus to get here by herself. And I, I just, I talked with Mandy about, Mandy and I are friends and I talked, I said, I will look out for her and for this woman who works at a, as a barista at their church coffee shop. And I had utter confidence that I could take her to, in, to meet all of you and that, you wouldn't treat her like, oh, first time, or this is for my old peeps and then in the Grace Fellowship. But my friend, no, it's like everybody treated her like she was a VIP, like she was, you know, you, David, your dad, you know, Paul's all, he was so kind to her. And so, so I felt like on some level that, that the theology of the cross and this person who was a first timer at the conference, like, took cruciform shape in the most beautiful way. And it was I really felt privileged to be a part of it. That's awesome. So thank you all for for being part of the story of what God has done through Mockingbird and may uh, the tribe increase and thank you for the impact it's had on my life and all the lives of our listeners. Thanks for listening to the Mockingcast. If you like what you heard, please drop by iTunes and give us a rating or review, or share it with a friend or on social media. And as always, have a great weekend.